please turn to Romans chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse 25. And let's open in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for becoming to us our Father and our God, and for making us your own relatives. You made us in your image for your glory. You redeemed us from the pit of destruction. Not one of us deserve one ounce of your kindness, and yet your mercy for us is immeasurable. And in fact, the crucifixion of your Son on behalf of undeserving sinners is the greatest act of mercy uh, in the history of the world, nor will any act of mercy ever rival it. For you alone have gotten for yourself the glory that you always deserved. Lord, we thank you for this gospel by which we are delivered from sin and the kingdom of the devil, and now we belong to Christ, our King. We thank you for Paul, your bond slave, your bond servant. We pray that you would give us the heart of bond slaves, of voluntary servants for life. We pray that you bring back to our remembrance all the things we've studied in this great book, The Letter to the Romans. And we pray that you'd open our minds to continue to understand this scripture day by day. Wash us, cleanse us, sanctify us in your word. Your word is truth. We pray that you would help us to reorient ourselves towards reality and let these scriptures be that compass that point us to you. Thank you, Lord, for so great a salvation. Please help us to understand the kingdom of God and our role in it. We thank you for those who have gone before us, like Paul and all of the early church who lived and died in service to thee. They poured out their lives even unto death and they did not regret it, for you are worthy. And we pray that we today would find you worthy. Thank you, Lord. And we specially thank you for Asher Kempton. And we pray for your many blessings upon the Kempton family. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for uh, the Josiah and Teresa's uh, baby not yet born, and we thank you for your goodness to that family, and we pray for more of it. Thank you, Lord. Let your anointing be on that child to carry the gospel wherever you send him. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And finally, Lord, we um, earnestly pray to you for those who are not here uh, due to sickness. Um, we pray that you would have mercy and comfort and strengthen and save and deliver. We pray for the goodness and the plan of God, and we plead the blood of Christ over all those who belong to you, um, yet are down and out due to illness. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 15, verse 25. Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Last week we asked and answered the question, why? Because the Christians in Jerusalem had poured out everything to follow Christ and they had literally given everything. For some, that means building wealth for the next generation. For some, 
like those in Jerusalem, it meant giving away everything they had to buy treasure that was eternal. And because of their service to Christ, holding nothing back, holding nothing back at all, they were reduced to poverty. Paul recognized, therefore, that all the Gentile churches from whom uh, the gospel, to whom the gospel had gone out from the Jerusalem Christians originally after the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which we will begin to study in our upcoming study of the book of Acts. They owed them a debt, a debt of gratitude and a financial debt because our life as Christians is totalizing its everything. When Christ delivered us from belonging to Satan, we came to belong to him in every sense, the comforting sense and the sense by which he has all rights over us. And recognizing this, uh, the churches in Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to give from what they had, whether their little or their abundance, and Paul was taking that gift to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Verse 28, um, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. How ironic that Judea, the, the land of the temple of God, which was about to be destroyed when his presence was taken away from them in their judgment. How ironic that Judea was full of unbelievers, right? And sometimes in the history of the world, we've seen uh, church buildings uh, that bear the name of Christ or Christian on the stones, and yet the, the buildings are vacant in the sense that Christ does not dwell there. And yet, there was a remnant of believers and God had provided for them in this hostile, very religious, very anti-Christ environment, God was providing financial aid to them because he had not forgotten them. And Paul asked that you would strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. It is very important that we are regularly striving together on behalf of, of spiritual leaders and pastors and congregations around the world, both here and abroad, because Satan is an adversary prowling around seeking those whom he may devour. And your fellow Christians need you to pray to God to strive in prayer on their behalf. Paul himself was, as we'll see in our study of the book of Acts, 
which you may remember, it's one of the most exciting sections of the Bible, those 28 chapters. You remember that Paul was delivered from them and he did come to Rome in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. But he didn't come as a free man. He came in chains and under house arrest. And yet it was the Lord's will to deliver him. And his deliverance of Paul was a mighty uh, deliverance that is a dramatic story, as we'll see when we get there. All of their prayers for him were answered. Paul had only one concern in life. His ambition was to pour himself out for the sake of the glory of Christ by teaching the gospel in, uh, in every land, especially, namely those lands to which the gospel had not come. He said, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is the worst thing that could ever happen to me and will represent my utter defeat and the demise of all my dreams. That's how we sometimes think. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. His commission was the exact same as our commission delivered to us by the Lord Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or do all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Lord Jesus himself came and stood beside Paul when he was in danger and when he was being persecuted. He knew that it may cost him his life, and he was ready to give it. Revelation 2.10 says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. Why? The devil is about to throw some of you into prison because he's very powerful and there's nothing you can do about it. No, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, he, he writes to the churches, because it was God's will, his unstoppable, never-changing, predetermined will, that they would be tested. They were never outside the hands of God, nor his good and wise plan. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. After Paul made it to the church in Rome, he probably wrote the book of Philippians there while he was imprisoned in house arrest. And there he wrote, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Lord promises that in this world we will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, 
I have overcome the world. Let's look at Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. These are some of the troubles that Paul had encountered and was going to encounter again in Jerusalem. Acts 14, 19. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him, outside of this, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. That's where the people who had come to kill him, had come from. They returned, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. this Paul's life, sometimes we read Acts and we think, Paul lived a very tough life and I'm so glad I'm not in that much danger. But the truth is, as Christians, we are often afflicted, we are often persecuted, though never abandoned. We suffer, we suffer because it is God's will that we should be sanctified and it is God's will that some of us should be tested for his glory. His plan remains unchanging. In Acts 28, verse 14, on Paul's journey to Rome, it says, We found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You will suffer and lose some friends or maybe family. There will be grief. You will sacrifice. It will cost you everything to follow Christ. Paul made it, but in chains. And there, having arrived in Rome, it was probably there that he wrote the letter to the letter Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He may have been released after those two years and made it to Spain as he intended, and written 2 Timothy during a second imprisonment in Rome. The Lord's faithfulness to Paul was awesome. 
and everybody participated, everybody in all these churches, both in Jerusalem and throughout the, the Mediterranean world, and all these churches that had been planted, and many who were planted by Paul, they all participated together in building the kingdom of God. And it cost them their money, their time, their comfort, and for some, their lives. And there is no greater glory than to give everything you have to Christ in service. And so we come to chapter 16 in peace. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints because the culture of the kingdom is one where we welcome one another without qualifications, forgetting and covering over one another's sins. Welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, in a way worthy of extra special saints who haven't screwed things up, in a way worthy of the saints. What does saints mean? Saints means set those who are set apart or holy? Are they set apart because they did so well and they lived such a successful Christian life and they, and they made no major mistakes and relatively few smaller ones and they didn't embarrass themselves? They're saints because Jesus predetermined to set them apart and make them holy with his own holiness. Therefore, when we welcome one another, we welcome one another in a way worthy of the saints because Christ has welcomed you. Welcome her in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she has been a patron of many. That's somebody who provides usually financial resources. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Phoebe was a servant or a diakonos of the church at Sencrea. It's six and a half miles from Corinth, where we think Paul wrote this letter to Rome. And she traveled from there, probably carrying this letter to Rome, and delivered it. And so Paul gives these directions for her to be welcomed. And then he goes on with nearly a whole chapter of personal greetings to like everybody he had met already and probably those he hadn't even met. And notice that he says something personal and positive about almost every single person in this list. This is the welcoming, affectionate, tender, encouraging, empowering culture of the kingdom whereby we cover over one another's sins and build each other up for their good. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Why? Because there wouldn't be very many of the churches of the Gentiles if they hadn't risked their neck to save Paul's life, possibly in one of these encounters with the Jews where maybe they whisked him away just in time to safety. Greet also the church in their house. Greet 
my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. In the kingdom of God, which is the family of God, and everywhere that God's will is willingly done by his saints whom he has made holy and appointed to do his holy will. You will have a chance to become a father or a mother to somebody. You may have many people who have godly input in your life, many people who love you, many people who have taken under you under their wing over the years, but you have few people who have become in Christ like a father to you or like a mother. A father and a mother, as many of us know, are those who lay down their lives for their children. As our Heavenly Father gave His only Son who laid down His life to make us children of God, so we who are parents or are going to be parents Understand intimately that peculiar anguish of hearing a baby crying in the middle of the night and rolling out of bed and changing the baby's diaper and feeding the, giving the baby a bottle. And, and you will have the chance to do that as a father or mother for younger believers in Christ. Do not shrink back from it or grow weary of doing good because there's nothing more meaningful that to which, for which you could give your life. No pursuit or pleasure or pursuit of building your own identity could ever compare to being imitators of God and pouring out your lives for, for those who, like us, deserve it not. There is no greater pleasure than giving yourself in love to welcome new sheep into the fold and to become one who is as a father or a mother to a little disciple, a little child in Christ. Like the Apostle writes, like the Apostle John writes when he calls uh, those to whom he's writing in 1 John, dear children and little children. And that's every one of us for we have had those who laid down their lives for us. And, the, and we give our lives in that tradition of family to yield up what we might have said belong to us for one another and for the next generation of Christians. That's what we're doing. That's the culture in which the gospel is shared.
and it is very good. Amen. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. That is a powerful statement. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers or brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Single brothers, you have to understand that this is a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> like, like head coverings and other things that are culturally expressed, um, greeting one another with a holy kiss would probably be misunderstood in almost every nation and culture of the world to this day. If you go to France, I had some friends who had spent a lot of time in France and they would come up and... And I had to get used to that one. I was not French. So, um, greeting one another with the holy kiss, it is a particularly affectionate and dear form of welcoming one another. If you go to France, you may be greeted by a lot of people who will, you know, kind of give you that courtesy kiss on the cheek. You know, you, you don't usually use your lips. You kind of kiss the air and your cheeks are right next to each other or they touch each other, and, you know. And, uh, but, but you'll find that you'll be greeted like that by people who don't know you well. And that culture retains this, this uh, in, their, in their practice of greeting one another, a... Uh, a special thing that reminds us of this gospel welcome by which we welcome one another without qualifications, even as Christ has welcomed us. Amen. And when we get discouraged or we despair of love for one another because either we ourselves are kind of losing hope or we're losing hope in humanity, we are renewed in this same gospel day by day. For God has not lost hope in you. As one songwriter says, God believes in you. You are in Christ because Jesus loves you and for no other reason. Therefore, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And now we come to the several final points that Paul makes in this wonderful explanation and exposition of the gospel, repeated through the book of Romans, explained and applied. And in his closing words, he gives us this warning, and every one of us needs to hear this, because even if you don't need it now, you'll need it later, because this happens to all Christians. This happens in every congregation eventually. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. This is like a really serious, like, like, please, please, please give me your full attention. Listen to me and hear me on this. This is so important. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles 
contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. What's that talking, talking about? Shout it out. Shout it out and I'll repeat it so everybody can hear it. What's that talking about? What kinds of people, what, what kinds of divisions or obstacles are we talking about here? Judaizers. What does that mean? People who say that you must be circumcised. They're, they're, they're telling you, you've got to follow all these ceremonies that we grew up with or else you're not as holy as us because we went through the right ceremonies to become holy, holier than thou. And if you don't, you're fundamentally different kinds of Christians than we are. How popular is that idea in the church today? Unfortunately, too much. A lot. It's hugely popular. So, you will see this in yourselves, this same kind of thing rise up in you because it's in the flesh. And everybody has the flesh, right? And you must put those thoughts to death. They can split a church apart. They can give Christ a bad name. They can disgrace him. And I never want to disgrace him who became disgraced for me, that I might become a saint. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. There's one gospel, it's simple, it's clear. It's Christ came down from heaven, the image of the invisible God, both being both God and man, to lay down his life for those who were locked and caught under the righteous judgment of God because of our sin and because of every one of our sins. And he delivered us by taking upon himself the judgment that we deserved because God is good in the sense that he is holy. And he made us holy with his own holiness because he is good in the sense that he is merciful. And saints, we say, God is good all the time. God is good and all the time. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to this doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. There are people who are Christians who get stuck in this particular kind of confidence in certain self-righteousness. Like, I haven't made that mistake before, so I look down on you. Have you ever felt that in yourself? Yeah, we all have, right? And, but, but, but by the grace of God, there go I. It goes as far as saying, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. So Christians can struggle with that kind of sinning. So here, he's talking about people who are not of Christ who have confidence in their flesh, as did once the author of this letter, the, the letter to the Romans, Saul, whose name was later changed to Paul. In fact, he had great confidence in his own righteousness. As a Pharisee, he believed that, that following God meant doing everything God said, and he had the hubris 
to believe that he could do that. Following God does mean doing everything God said, and we can't do it. And it is God who works in us to will and to do according to his good purpose, according to his pleasure. So, those who create, who, who create obstacles are not to be confused with those who call us up to excellence in Christian living, to excellence in Christian behavior, to excellence in following the commands of God, to excellence in loving one another. And sometimes you might be tempted when somebody, when you feel like somebody's laying a heavy burden on you, saying, get this right, somebody who you might say prophetically calls you forward. That's pretty uncomfortable as we all know, especially if you've had a discipler who was zealous, right? This is not talking about those who call us on to greater excellence. It's calling us, it's talking about those who lure us away by their own selfish ambition and vain conceit into thinking that we can somehow, out of our own strength, be righteous. And he's calling us to avoid those people. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. When you can convince people that they should be like you, and when they start kind of, when you get like a little click or a club, it's, it satisfies the flesh, right? When people conform to your image, there's something deeply satisfying to the flesh. Watch out for that in yourself. Watch out for that in the church, because it will pop up. Avoid such people. We cannot allow these doctrines to infiltrate our congregations. They are poison and they divide and destroy. And they don't bring glory to Christ. And that's the most important thing. And that's how we recognize this as false doctrine. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Okay, let's all pretend we're naive, right? A bunch of naive people. There are these people, they're coming into the church, they're, they're zealous for the Lord. They look like that. They, they you know, they got their tie on straight right? The shoes are polished or whatever, you know, like they're doing something that looks so right, whatever. And, and they flatter us and they tell us, you know, if you do this, you'll be pleasing to the Lord in such a way that our hearts may be lured away to being confident that I did everything that I had to do to make myself not need the blood of Christ to cover my sins anymore. That's how it happens. Don't be naive like that. We've all been tricked by that, at least in some way before. But, Paul says, Paul who just said in the last chapter, I myself am confident that you are full of goodness and competent to counsel one another. He now says, your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. What on earth is that talking about? That'll never happen in my lifetime. Have you ever thought that? 
That'll happen someday when Christ returns and 100% by his own power with no participation of my own or our own, he'll do what he promised and I'll be like, oh, whew, that's over with. Now, like, we're all in heaven. That's all future. Is that a proper perspective on this? It's close to part of the truth. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. <clears throat> we reign in life and we reign in death. That is, Christ's reign extends to us and we participate in his reign. Picture this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Okay? Does that mean that Satan's out there, God's going to go get him, he's going to drag him over here, he's going to make you levitate, and then he's going to put Satan down there, and then he'll let you go and crunch, and the serpent's head will be crushed? Yes. Or does it mean that Satan is out there, and regrettably, lots of other places, maybe quite nearby, and God will send you into the heart of darkness like an arrow sharpened to do his will, bringing, mediating the presence of God, teaching people, making disciples, and teaching them to do according to all that the Lord Jesus has commanded us in all the scriptures, although the ceremonial rules and regulations pointed to Christ and are fulfilled in him, but the Ten Commandments did not go away. Teaching people to do that, making that kind of disciples, becoming a father and a mother to many. And Christ the King will bring Satan the serpent in subjection underneath your feet because he'll call you to go there where Satan is and he will empower you to crush the serpent's head. Yes. They are all true. This happens. The, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet is happening every day. Every victory you have in Christ is a manifestation of this promise that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And we do long for that day when Satan and death are cast into the lake of fire and there is no more testing. There is no more temptation. There is no more failure, nor sorrow, nor is there any more division among us. When all of his promises are fulfilled. But we must know that God is building the kingdom of God through each one of us here and now. Every victory you have in the Christian life is glory to Christ. Often at night, I have been filled with regret for how I did that day as a Christian and thought, I did one or two things right all day. And I put those things in my hand and I think, I am an unworthy servant. I've like done a little tiny bit of my duty and it's not much, but it's all I have to offer you and your blood will just have to cover my sins. Please receive what very little I did as that which pleases you. And I offer my works to the Lord and Christ fills in the rest. And I am a bond slave of Christ. I am a saint. 
Every one of us is so. God, does all the, God has done, accomplished all these things so that we may be a kingdom of priests, mediating the presence of God into every land and every nation of the world until all the families of the earth are blessed, fulfilling the promises to the patriarchs. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, don't let that throw you off, Paul had a scribe, he was dictating. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. If you have an ESV study Bible, there's a cool note you might want to read about um, an inscription on, in, the, in the stones. I can't remember if it's in the pavement or on the building. I think it's in the pavement in one place in Corinth. It's still there, and it has the name of a man named Erastus. And then his, uh, I think it's a Latin title that's roughly equivalent to city treasurer. And it says, this guy, you know, built this at his own expense. Uh, you might want to go research that. I wonder if it's the same guy that, um, who from Corinth um, and with our brother Quartus was greeting the church in Rome. Perhaps. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and these very saints and you are of them, and we are doing the same mission, and it will cost you everything, and that's good. Embrace it, because he who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, who is the mystery? It's Christ. According uh, to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the telling of this gospel, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. That is, all of us and all of those whose destiny it is to follow Christ are becoming and have become bond slaves of Jesus Christ who obey out of faith and out of love, out of indebtedness, but not out of coercion. To bring about the obedience of faith in all the world. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let the servers for communion please come forward and we pray as we will pray. Father, we thank you for your holy scriptures by which we are sanctified. I pray that you would put in our hearts to read the book of Romans again and again. We pray that we would be people of the word who are strengthened and renewed with power by the Holy Spirit as you change our mind and change our heart through the word of God and as you equip us to know you and to know, and to know your will so that we can do it with a willing spirit. Now, O oh Lord, grant us a willing spirit.
to sustain us. Amen.